Welcome. This is Kim Wright, and um, this is the Evolutionary Lawyers series. And um, I am here with my co-host, Molly Rowan Leach. And um, our special guest today is Sharif Abdullah. So, Molly, why don't you um, let people know how how to be on the call? Thank you, Kim. Good morning, everyone. This is Molly Rowan Leach, and I'm the director and founder of Molly Rowan Presents. And it's my pleasure to be co-hosting this series with Kim and with our amazing guests. And just a few quick notes about this room. During the calls, you can press 1 on your keypad at any time to prompt us to open up your line to make a comment or ask a question. And these calls are also being archived uh, at the www.cuttingedgelaw.com website, which of course is Kim's website, cuttingedgelaw.com. All audio is posted there briefly after, um, after each of our calls. So that includes, of course, uh, two weeks ago, we hosted Rian Eisler, which was a phenomenal call. And today, we have the incredible Sharif Abdullah, as Kim mentioned. So, um, again, if you if you during the flow of the call, you have a comment or a question, even if it's not during the Q and A time, please feel free to press one on your keypad, and we'll make sure that we call on you. So, thank you, everyone, and it's a pleasure to be here today. Thanks, Molly. Well, I am um, really pleased to have Sharif here, and um, I, you know, and by way of bio, Sharif is very accomplished. Uh, he uh, is uh, he, was, he started his career as a legal aid lawyer, um, at, but quickly moved on um, to doing what I consider promoting himself to a policy position, and um, he's now the. Founder and uh, director of Commonway Institute, a proponent and catalyst for inclusivity and spiritual transformation. His work is taken all over the world. Um, he's written several books, uh, including the one that is my favorite, Creating a World That Works for All. And I, I met Sharif um, when uh, our mutual friend uh, and, um, and author, Barrett Kohler author, um, Stuart Levine, said, You're in Portland now. You ought to, you ought to meet. Uh, Sharif and I said, "Well, who's Sharif?" He said, "Well, just go, go meet him." And we set a coffee date, and um, I sat down at the table, and we started a conversation that had obviously been going on with with each of us for a long time. We didn't have one of those conversations where, "Well, where did you grow up?" and you know that kind of creating uh, relationship. We actually entered into being in relationship in a pretty intense way, and I've, uh, I've enjoyed that um, interaction with him ever since. So um, I feel like we should be at Pete's Coffee with a cup of, uh, cup of something hot in front of us and a table and, um, and spending the day, but instead we're going to be here for um, about the next hour and, uh, and learn more about Sharif and his work. So Sharif, welcome. Are you there? I am. Um, I'm here now. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, and, uh, very good to be here. I'm um, uh, very happy to see that you're doing this series, and very uh, happy to um, uh, be able to help with this uh, ongoing dialogue on uh, what is evolutionary law and where uh, where are we taking this. So, uh, well, let's start with uh, what we usually do is have people kind of tell their stories. You know, come, you know, let people who don't know you know who you are, and give people a little window into your work. Um, so, um, if you could just take a few minutes and tell us about you. I, I mentioned you started uh, as a legal aid lawyer, in fact, in North Carolina, uh, but you might want to say a little more about your history even before that. Um, okay. Well, <clears throat> I will. Um I'll do this as quickly as possible, although I can yes. stop at any point and we can spend the rest of the hour. Uh, I understand. I was, was raised in uh, Camden, New Jersey, which was Time Magazine's worst city in America. 
which um, gives you great bragging rights. Um, and and raised in the worst parts of the worst city in America, and had a um, you know went through the worst high school in America, and um, but even in that, uh, there were several themes that were active for me. One of them uh, was the theme of societal transformation. Well, you know, at eight or nine years old, I didn't call it that. I just knew that there was something wrong with the way that the world was working. I knew that people shouldn't live in places like Camden, New Jersey. And I knew that there was a way to fix it, but I didn't know how. The other theme that was active for me was the spiritual quest. Um, I, I, was, I was spiritually seeking in a society that knew very little about the spirit. They kept trying to push me into religion, which is not the same thing. So uh, I had these themes going within me, and um, they got resolved uh, in uh, when I, I encountered a guy by the name of Malcolm X. And his theme that said that the problems of the world were caused by the white power structure really resonated with me at that time. And at that point in time, I started trying to create a world that worked for all black people because, of course, all white people are fine, okay? I could see both Ozzy and Harriet were having a ball, okay? And so it, did, uh, it took me going to college before I realized that the world wasn't working for some white people either. And then by the time I left college and I started practicing law, I realized that the world wasn't working for anyone. It wasn't working for even the people it purports to work for. So with the Occupy movement now, people talk about the 99% and the 1%. Well, believe me, I know a lot of the folks in the 1%. The world's not working for them. They're just as drug addicted and just as depressed and just as suicidal as everybody else. So there's something fundamentally wrong with the picture that we've painted. There's something off with, this, with this, this society that we've created. And what I've been trying to do is to get to the roots of that. What is the nature of the problem? And what is the nature of the solution? So when I, I, I started traveling because I realized that the problem is not located in America. The problem is all around the world. It's how human beings have chosen to create and how and to interact with their world. So I've I've been to 38 different countries. I've been to over 100 distinct cultures, and all and 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 I've been informed by good things that have been happening in these 100 cultures. I've also been informed by, some, by, by seeing the same uh, negativity, the same depression, the same um, issues happening over and over again in, in various countries. Um, I was, uh, as you were saying, I, I started out practicing in legal services uh, in North Carolina. I went into private practice in North Carolina, and I, I realized something. I realized that in some ways, the legal profession really fit with the person that I was at that time. And in other ways, it really, really didn't fit. Now, everybody, you know, the, the, the people look up to, to people who have degrees, uh, and despite all the lawyer jokes in the world, um, the people do look up to, or at least will vote for people, who, lawyers who are running for public office, etc. But inside of myself, my question was, who am I, and what is it that I'm doing? How am I interacting with the world, and am I really, really making the world a better place? I remember uh, there, there were several cases that I had that convinced me that I was doing the wrong thing. In one of the cases, um, an uh, old woman uh, entered the hospital where she was about to die, and 
the family members had started fighting over this modestly large estate that she was going to leave before this woman was 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 dead and so one one part of the one faction of the family hired me uh the woman had a miraculous recovery she was she she just kind of bounced out of the hospital and there is this scene in the hospital where one faction of the family had one of her arms and the other one had her, the other arm and they're pulling this woman like a wishbone and she's in the middle and she's just saying oh i just want you children to get along i just want you to to be happy and and i'm looking at this scene now i'm i'm uh representing the left arm pullers okay um and I realized, I said, this is not the way that human beings should be living. I should have other tools available than just to um, the, the, the tools that I was applying in this situation. And um, my side, the left arm pullers won because I had this woman declared legally incompetent and that way they got control of her estate. Now, there's, there is, um, at the time, there was ego pride behind that. Like, wow, I am a hot shit lawyer. I just pulled this move that nobody ever, nobody else saw. Um, my client wins the day. I, I got my fees paid, etc. But then the but but after at the end of that day I'm away from the headlines and I'm away from my office, etc. I have to ask myself, what is it that you actually do? One of my daughters, um I had young kids at the time, uh one of my daughters uh asked me, um, what do you do? You know, what does a lawyer do? And I started to give her the textbook answer, you know, we protect the rights of those who da 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 And I realized, wait a minute, you know, um, it's one thing to spread bullshit among the general population, but this is your daughter, you know. And I said, you know, one of the things that I'm doing in private practice is getting scumbags out of jail. People who really ought to be in jail, I get them out, okay. And... Um, I get estates to people who don't deserve them. Um, I get uh, custody for for uh, parents where neither parent deserves custody of the children. And and as I'm going through this litany, I'm saying, you know something, I shouldn't be doing this. And this was the 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 the, the place where I made my decision uh, to leave the law. And for about 15, 20 years or so, I've not identified as a lawyer. Now, technically, uh, I'm only on um, inactive status in North Carolina. I can kind of walk in the door and say, hi, I'm back. (laughs) But uh, I wouldn't do that. And the reason I wouldn't do that is um, there has to be another way. There, There have to be other ways for human beings to um, resolve the conflicts that come up through daily living without going through all of that rigmarole. There has to be ways for us to have more than the zealous representation of one client that happens to have the money to walk into your office and to recognize that the interests of others, including the unsuspecting stated and unworded interest of the earth itself, that these things have to be taken into consideration when uh, when we're making, um, uh, when we're trying to resolve our conflict. And so that that's, those are the things that have been motivating me uh, in my work uh, over the course of the, the years that I have not been practicing law. Now, the, the, uh, I think that, um, I'll say one last thing on that. Um, I've been um, 
I haven't identified myself as an attorney in, what, 20 years, maybe 25 years. However, in all the work that I do, I recognize that I am, um, that I'm using the law, that I am using the, uh, the legal skills, the way of thinking, this really, uh, this ability to weigh out rational, logical uh, arguments. I'm using this in in a way to, uh, as I say, as the, the 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 name of my book is also the mission statement of my organization. It's also my personal mission statement, which is how do we create a world that actually works for all beings, not just Americans. Not just a client that walks in with that happens to be able to pay your fee, but for all of the beings, and um, that's something that's been that's been um, motivating me uh, for a long time. So there Want to take a breath? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I I can let you go on, but I um I want I want to I want to stop you. I, I think it's this is all this is all good. You've answered the the questions that I have asked uh, almost in order. I think you have this cheat sheet there in front of you. Um, <laughs> and so um, I want to remind people that if they have a question, if they want to make a comment, um, please um, please feel free to do that at any time. Um, by it, by Molly, is it pressing one? Is that what they do? Yes, it's pressing one on their keypad. Pressing one on their keypad. Yes. Um, so, um, tell us about your. Uh, uh, let's see. I'm going to fast forward you, and you can fill in whatever needs to be filled in in between um, to adequately answer the question. But I, I want you to talk about your work in Sri Lanka. Um. I started, um, it, the international portion of my work is really strange. It, all, it started all of a sudden. Um, I remember when I left um, North Carolina to move to Portland, Oregon, uh, when I got to the North Carolina western border, I realized this is the furthest west I've ever been in my life. <laughs> So, so even coming to Oregon felt like coming to a foreign country. Um, and then, and I, I had never been out of the United States, and I, and I, going to the Bahamas and going to Canada didn't count for me, you know. So, um, uh, and then all of a sudden, one after another, I'm going to country after country, continent after continent. So I've been to every continent, with the exception of Antarctica, because there's not a a permanent human population there. And um, I was reading a book uh, some years ago, and this is a book by Catherine Ingram called In the Footsteps of Gandhi. And what she did was highlight 20 or 30 people who, were, uh, who had followed in Gandhi's footsteps, um, uh, nonviolent social activists. And, you know, the usual folks that you would expect, uh, Martin Luther King, Cesar Chavez, etc. There was this one guy, uh, Dr. A.T. Aryaratne. And when I read his story, I was intrigued um, because a lot of his work was very much uh, paralleling mine. Um, I really believe that we have to restructure both the individual human being and the entire society. Now, the social activists are working on changing the entire society, but they don't look at their own role as being a supporter of that society. The spiritual activist will look at will look within, will look at their own self-realization, will look at the things that they need to be focusing on, etc. However, they don't. They they tend not to look at the systems and structures of the society and what needs to change with that. So Dr. Aryaratne was doing both uh, in an organization called Sarvodia, and Sarvodia is Sanskrit for the awakening of all. 
and what their society was about, was what their their work was and is about, is the awakening of all. Okay, so I put that in my head. A couple of years later, I get a notice that said that um, this Dr. Ariaratne was coming to the United States to win an award. And I did something I've never done before and never done since. And that was hopped on an airplane just to meet one person, just to see one person. I had an opportunity to meet with him uh, fairly extensively. And the last thing he said to me was, um, if you're ever in Asia, come in and see me. And so six months later, I was on a plane. I was in Russia on my way to Indonesia, and I looked on the map and said, wait, it looks like Sri Lanka is like right in the middle there. <laughs> so um, I stopped in, um, and he put me to work, and I had and I worked there solidly for 15 years. Um, I uh, became Sarvodia's senior advisor, and um, uh, the work that I did there uh, has been some of the best work I've done on the planet. Um, the, the things that we were intending to do were the kinds of things that are, rec that are needed in this society, in American society today. Um, the things that I am, um, uh, that I was doing, um, it, it and, and I'm, I'm, I'm hesitating because I don't want to give a whole long uh, lesson in the war in Sri Lanka, but they had a very long, decades-long um, civil, ethnic, religious war going on between the government and the Tamil Tigers. And um, the, the work that I did with Sarvodia helped um, the, the society, helped them get to a very powerful ceasefire. And the thing that we did was very different from the way most peace activities uh, go on. So if, um, for example, um, President Obama wants to, to create peace in the Middle East, he meets with four or five people in an air-conditioned, highly secure room. And these four or five people are the people that are absolutely committed to the continuation of the war. Okay. And these four or five people um, have, are not people who are affected by the war in any way. They're not. Their children aren't the ones getting killed. Uh, their houses aren't the ones being destroyed, etc. He um, uh, worked in a, a very different way. We worked directly with the people. We bypassed everything, including bypassing a media that you can't trust. Okay, so we bypassed that whole thing and talked directly to people. We were doing, you know, massive village-to-village -village, uh, uh, contacts, massive mobilizations. We were doing peace meditations that would get 100,000 people to come, 200,000 people. And the one we did right before the ceasefire had 500,000 people all dressed in white, all sitting and meditating for peace. Well, both the government and the Tamil Tigers had to pay attention to these kinds of things. So the challenge that we had um, was not how do you bring the government to a peaceful resolution, but how do you bring people to a peaceful resolution within their own hearts? And then from that, have them take that piece and drag their governments along in the process. So um, the, well, the, the problem that we ran into was um, uh, if you take the governments out of the equation, they, they will put themselves back in the, in the equation in some way. And what happens? What happened in our case was that 
both the government and the Tigers wanted to start the war again because they were losing their power and influence. And they whipped people back into their frenzy, you can't trust people, etc. And the war concluded with a, a relatively disastrous ending back in 2009. So um, you've um, you've triggered a whole bunch of people to raise their hands, um, and then uh, and and they and so um, Peggy, your hand has gone up a few times. Um, oh, do you have a, do you have a question or comment? Peggy. I've unmuted your line, Peggy, if you're there. Okay. Well, um, let's go to Linda Warren Seeley. My hand up on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to get in on the phone call. I'm sorry. Be a while. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> the, the regular phone, the regular phone line wouldn't take the the code and stuff. So, um, sorry, I and I I got in late, so I do apologize for disrupting anything. <laughs> it's good to have you, Linda. Welcome. Thank you. Okay. Um, all right. So. Um, uh, who else would, uh, would we like to call on? Dorothy? We have several hands up. Yeah, wait a minute. <laughs> Go ahead, Dorothy. You're live. I, um. I'm so sorry. I have a cell phone that shuts off. Are you there? We're here. Yes, we're here. Okay. I, yeah, it shuts off if I don't, the screen shuts it off automatically. Well, I'm listening to this. This is just wonderful. I just love this. Um, I'm very active in Democratic Party politics. And I have fashioned myself as a coach, coaching candidates and other people about how to speak about what we're supporting in a way that can be heard and uses language that's acceptable to all different points of view and really interested in the linguistics of it and the and the uh, family framing, you know, like authoritarian and patriarchal as opposed to permissive and those kinds of issues. But what I'm finding, it's maddening, but um, from my point of view, a lot of Democrats would rather fight than switch <laughs> and they're not really interested in um, Making themselves understood, they'd rather stand on a soapbox and rant and rave and be right and allow long-standing antagonisms to continue and do nothing to forward dialogue. Now, the image of a whole lot of people sitting down and meditating to create peace—it's breathtaking. And yet, I don't quite know how to map it onto what I'm doing. I have described myself for many years as a left-wing metaphysical. <laughs> which was kind of halfway humorous, but also was really true for me, and that is that um, I spent many years meditating, believing that large groups of people meditating would change the world and it would all turn out, and then after it didn't turn out and our country got captured, by my way of thinking, by corporate interests and um, people that really wanted to make war for their own profit motive and their own benefit in a very myopic kind of blind way. Maybe, well, I'm trying to be charitable, but I'll, I'll, I'll stop. I know you, you've heard both parts of the argument. Um, I'm just not quite sure what, what's next for me. I, I feel that my work with the Democratic Party is coming to an end in a way, even though there's still a lot of a pull there and people that want me to participate in all this. but. I feel that the paradigm that they're operating in doesn't allow for the full expression of what I want to have happen, and I don't really quite know where to turn. I guess is what I'm saying. You know, where to go next? And it, it sounds like um, 
Is it Abdullah? Is that your name? Sharif, first name, yes. Sharif, uh-huh. It right. sounds like you've already laid a lot of railroad track, but I don't know exactly, I don't know exactly where that points to for me, I guess is what I, there's a bridge between where I am and where you are, and I don't quite see what the map is. Um, I think that your um, uh, assessment and your awareness of your situation is uh, really, really spot on. I think that this is a bridge that we are trying to create. Um, we're walking across the bridge, okay, right now, and we're carrying these girders with us as we're going to build the bridge as we're trying to cross it. As you can probably figure from this metaphor, it's not exactly stable and it's a little bit dangerous and um, it um, isn't, um, uh, I would love to do it some other way, but this is the way we're doing it. So let me comment on a couple of the things that you were saying. Um, when you first started talking, I, I had this, this kind of sinking feeling like uh, you were going to ask me to uh, how to figure out how to make these candidates' uh, message better so that they could win and they could, you know, it's like your own understanding that the paradigm isn't fitting anymore uh, is great. And, and um, uh, when you're talking about it, the, the candidates not making, not wanting to make themselves or seemingly not wanting to make themselves understood. Um, I have a friend, um, and I, 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 well, I hope he doesn't mind if I, if I give this example. Uh, Mark Gerzon, some of you have heard of him or read his books. But he did something a few elections ago. Went to all the congressional uh, uh, candidates that were running. And he said, you know something, we know where we disagree. We know where the, the, all the third rails are in our political spectrum. Why don't you issue a statement? Why don't you have both candidates issue a statement on what you agree on? You know, you agree that you're both Americans. You agree that you, that you love your country. You agree that uh, there are certain systems and structures in our society that are worth supporting, et cetera, et cetera. And in every congressional race, in every single one of them, for both the Democrats and the Republicans, there was zero interest in making a statement, even a statement as broad as we're all Americans and, um, you know, we support the democratic process. They would do nothing to say where they agreed with each other because that's not how you win. In this society, uh, you win by making the other person bad and making yourself good, okay? And so the challenge that we've got is um, how do we transcend that system in the middle of that system? Now, what I would say is, uh, uh, what I say to you, Dorothy, is number one, don't give up the day job yet. <laughs> You've got to be able to support yourself while this transition is going on. Secondly, I would suggest look at, look for, and, and try to work with any of the alternative uh, political uh, systems that are coming around right now that are getting us closer to uh, mediation, getting us closer to um, collaborative politics. Now, here in Oregon, we're doing uh, a couple of things that are really interesting. If you, uh, I don't know if you know of Tom Atley, and he runs the Co-Intelligence Institute, and um, they do, uh, they 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 uh, look at and research lots and lots of things on uh, collaborative and alternative politics. And not alternative in kind of like a woo-woo kind of way, but alternative in a, um, um, it, well, in a way that's actually become part of our state of Oregon uh, government now, where um, 
every time there's this, there's like an initiative, a, a citizen initiative, it has to go by a board of regular citizens selected at random so that they can cut through the, the chase and the hype and say what this what the initiative is really about. Now that was that was something that again some, some friends did a few years ago. It's one of those small little efforts that's going to snowball over time that says we can change the way that we're doing our politics. So yeah, so that's so so those are a couple of things for you to think about as you are uh, as as we're building this bridge together. He's actually on Wikipedia. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and his book is listed on Amazon. Excellent. And so um, now the other thing um, that we were doing in Sri Lanka is looking into um, creating a legislature by sortition. Now sortition... By, by what? Sortition. S-O-R-T-I-T-I-O-N. Now, okay. um, now, sortition is really interesting. When we talk about democracy, we talk we, we generally the, we generally think about elections, but election is only one way to get a representative body of people. Another way of getting a representative body of people is through sortition, which is where you nominate or you select by random a random assortment of people. All of us are familiar with this. This is how you select a grand jury. No one can run to sit on a grand jury. We, we, we recognize that if we have a cross-section of our peers and we get you know, 24 people, that those 24 people, if it's really a, a cross-section of our peers, will represent us on this grand jury. Why can't you do a legislature exactly the same way? Well, I had one person, and I, when I was proposing this, one person said, well, wait a minute. If you get a cross-section of people, some of them will be crazy, some of them will be ignorant, some of them will be sociopaths. And I said, yeah, and how is that any different from the Congress that we've got right now? Okay. Um, what, we, what, what you would get from sortition is the ability to, um, uh, to have a true citizen legislature. This is the kind of thing that all of our founders uh, uh, foresaw. None of them believed that there should be like these permanent seats in office where Ted Kennedy stays there for a million decades, um, where, um, uh, where money and power gets amassed in the hands of a few people. The reason that we've got this amazingly complicated government that we've got is because we've got people who have moved beyond the, citizen, the level of, of the average citizen. And so sortition could be one way to get us back there. And there were other things that we were thinking about also. Um, I don't know, and I'm looking at our dashboard here. I'm not seeing uh, other hands up. Um, and so I'm not sure. Um, if, uh, and, uh, so let me ask the question for those of you who would have either a question or a comment. Um, if you can press one on your on your um, uh, your keyboard right now, um, uh, that will get you in the queue so that we can um, have your, uh, your input. I see uh, Colleen uh, is um, uh, has raised her hand, and uh, we will get you mic'd in a minute. Go ahead, Colleen. With respect to getting involved with those working on alternative political systems in your area, do you have any thoughts about how to connect with those people? For example, in New York City, you know, it's huge. <laughs> and um, it's, it's sort of overwhelming to try to figure out um, which candidates 
which parties, which movements are moving in this direction and which are continuing to build upon paradigms that are not going to be around pretty soon? Yeah, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. And, and I don't um, have, uh, I, it, it, it's trying to cut through all of that at the candidate level, I think, would be very difficult. Right. Um, I would suggest, and oh no, I suggest what I would, what I do, is I look for the larger meta organizations that are doing this kind of work, and then ask them. Okay, so for example, I've already mentioned uh, Tom Atlee's um, uh, Co-Intelligence Institute, and I would just I would ask Tom, you know, who do you know in the New York City area? who's doing your kind of work or who I can, call, I can talk to and actually get a referral to other people. Mm -hmm. uh, I would also, um, there's, a, there's an outfit called uh, the Transpartisan Alliance, and um, uh, Joseph McCormick is the head of that. Um, we had a very, very interesting meeting um, uh, uh, as part of the Engaging the Other Conference where the Transpartisan Alliance um, had uh, called together the head, heads of Move On, the heads of the Tea Party, the heads of the Libertarian Party, and me, and, uh, and them. And there's about a dozen people sitting around a table. Uh, I actually drank tea. And uh, the, 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 uh, the deal was, no attribution, no recording. We're just going to talk like human beings here. <laughs> I found that to be a really amazing, exciting, thought-provoking, um, really invigorating conversation. Um, I want, to, although for no attribution, I'm going to attribute two things to the uh, the Tea Party guy. I won't call them by name. Um, and he said, you're just as much a victim of the media as the left claims to be. That every t he says, we are against both the Democrats and the Republicans equally. That every time we say something negative about Obama and the Democrats, all the cameras swing our way and record us. They exactly the same words against the Republicans. The cameras just simply swing away. So it mm -hmm. makes us look like we're right wing. Okay? <laughs> the other thing that he said was, he said, we get labeled by the crazies that show up in our meetings. Just like with Occupy, he says, that, that, he was saying this some years ago. Um, the Tea Party makes no effort to try to um, corral or harness or, or limit the speech of those who come to their meetings. He mm -hmm. said, so you have 3,000 people come to a meeting. One of them shows up wearing a gun. Mm -hmm. And the, all the media shows all around the world is this one person with a gun. Okay? Mm -hmm. And so, so our ability... And see, this is the beauty of the Internet. Our ability to bypass all of that and to really focus in on um, who are you as a human being. I found myself in substantial agreement with many of the things that the Tea Party guy said and that the, the um, uh, Libertarian Party guy said. Um, I found myself in substantial disagreement with them, but I also found myself in substantial disagreement with the move-on person. So, so, what, so there's this fertile ground. In, in the middle, there's this fertile ground where all this stuff is percolating. Um, and as long as we don't go running off into a one corner or another, um, and then plug our ears and refuse to hear what the other person is saying, or worse than plugging our ears, 
plugging our ears with the media feed and allowing the media to interpret what that person is saying. Um, as long as we can approach all this with an open heart and an open mind, and then just ask the question, what is it that we want, what is the best thing want for our grandchildren in this society? Once you ask a question like that, this is, we start leveling the playing field because we start moving mm -hmm. out of the realm of the head and into the realm of the heart. And when we start doing that, I think some really interesting things can happen. Thank you very much. Thank you for for the for the, the question and and I said and definitely look up um, uh, uh, the, the 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 Joseph McCormick the, the Transpartisan Alliance the Cointelligence Institute you know look at who's doing stuff on a on a national or regional level. Um, I I see that Linda Alvarez has her hand up and I think that we're you are Mike, so hello. Hello, can you hear me? I can. Great. Um so I'm just very thrilled uh to have this conversation and to hear all that's going on. I love that you're coming from a perspective of having practiced law and experienced it you know, because here we are, lawyers on the call. Um, and I was interested in what you had to say about, you know, ceasing to practice law because there had to be a better way. Um, and what I would like to contribute to the conversation is that happily sort of coming out of the restorative justice um, efforts and conversations and principles that some attorneys are beginning to integrate <clears throat> new ways of thinking into the actual practice so that they're not leaving the practice of law but are actually changing it. And I'm a bit of an advocate and evangelist, I should say, for social activism by reforming, reforming the practice of law itself, um, lawyer by lawyer, client by client, um, through embedding principles of nonviolence into the interactions that clients and lawyers have, that lawyers conduct on behalf of clients, um, so I guess what I'm really here to say is that when you talk about building that bridge, for me, for lawyers, it's not just social activism by, you know, looking at the political system, but by actually becoming in a, in a way a virus within the legal system itself by practicing differently and catalyzing change in that way um, to bridge between values and system. I, I I really um, uh, resonate with what you're saying. I applaud what you're saying. And what I'd like to do is uh, if we could do an instant poll here. Um, I would like if, if you are, and this is for all the callers, and then, and then Linda, I'm going to get back to what you're saying. For all the callers, um, if you can, uh, if you are engaged in the active practice of law with no um, straight practice of law, no bells or whistles or anything like that, uh, like you work with a, a firm or, or, or you can't make any changes, uh, press 1 on your keypad. If you are engaged in the practice of law, but you are, like Linda, trying to incorporate uh, new practices into your uh, traditional practice, uh, press 2 on your keypad. And if you, are in, if, you are, if you have a law degree, but you're not engaged in the active practice of law, <coughs> not a member of the bar, press 3 on your keypad. Um, and I'm watching uh, numbers coming in here, 
and uh, it looks like we're um, uh, <laughs> we're we're completely evenly spread. A third of this call is uh, engaged in the, a very traditional practice. Um, the, the, a third is non-traditional, and a third is um, uh, not engaged in uh, the in, in practicing. I see there's several hands that are not up. I'm sure I'm, I'm sure I probably didn't ask the question uh, the right way, but um, I'm. Uh, but it's really interesting to see that we're all over the place. Okay, so um, I actually. Before you continue, have this is Linda again. Have a little bit of confusion um, over exactly your question because you said you know there was the no opportunity to change module and the practicing a new way module. Right. And for me, those there isn't a module where there's no opportunity to change. Um. Eh. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm going to. Um, I'm going to reserve that one for comments from some of the people. We had three people push their number one button when I said that, so I'm going to let them respond as to whether or not they feel uh, that there is an opportunity um, to change inside their profession. Uh, and I'm going to put everybody's hand back down, and I'm going to ask if um, Anyone who had pressed one, who, anyone who feels that they would, uh, that they don't have the opportunity uh, to change in their profession, if you press one on your keypad now, we're going to try to get back to you after I finish talking with Linda. Um, and so, um, so yeah, the the this notion of integrating new practices into a more traditional uh, way, this is. Uh, it's very tricky because there are these things called the canons of ethics, and uh, when there is the balance of the zealous representation of your client, I'm sure you've heard that before, and the necessity and the need of others, of an entire community, of the planet, etc. I'll give you a quick example of that, um, and this is some. This is a time when I, I, I was clear in my practice that I was violating the canons of ethics, and I was also clear that uh, I was doing it for the right reason. Um, this is a public housing uh, case. I was still practicing law with legal services, and the um, my client was a woman being evicted, and they're being evicted because the house that she lived in was completely disgusting. She had rats crawling out of her house into other people's houses. So the housing authority wanted to, wanted to kick her out. And I went to interview this woman, and I realized that the problem wasn't the woman. The problem was her three or four adult children that were basically using her house as a crash pad, drug sales uh, point, etc. Now, I could have won the case. I could have kept that entire family in that unit. There was no problem. The, the housing authority didn't know how to evict anybody. There, I, 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 I could have won the case. But that wouldn't have helped her. It wouldn't have helped the neighbors. It wouldn't have helped the, the, the housing authority. It would have helped no one. So I made a deal with the housing authority to evict that family and to um, offer the woman a studio apartment inside of uh, an elderly, uh, an elder care uh, facility that the housing authority had. And the three or four kids were out in the cold. Now, if they had wanted to, <laughs> they could have um, uh, done all sorts of things. Um, but, um, and I knew, I had to say, although technically I'm representing this entire family, I'm representing her. And this solution was actually a very good solution. This was a win-win-win for 
everybody except the kids, okay? If I had pursued it the old way, it would have been lose, lose, lose and for everybody except the kids, okay? So uh, so when you're doing that, when, you're, when you've got this, um, uh, when you're, when you're changing the system, and I love this, this imagery of being a virus inside the legal system. I love that, okay? Um, but while you're doing that, remember that you don't want to trigger the antiviral bodies to uh, do something to you. So make sure that you are uh, documenting what you're doing. Make sure you're doing it as clearly as you can. And talk to others. Talk to Kim. Talk to others about what you're intending to do, and uh, that way um, develop support for, for what you're doing and how you're doing it. Okay. <laughs> um, Linda, I, Linda's going to be one of our speakers um, later on, and, and um, but uh, Linda, feel free to say briefly what you do here um, because I think it's relevant. Um, yeah, I I totally agree with everything you said, Sharif. I have no quarrel with any of it, and and there is that uh, tension with the understanding of what it means to zealously represent the interests of your client, um, and dealing with conventional mindsets around the professional responsibility and ethics rules. Um, what I do, just briefly, is I pre practice. Um, transactional law. So I'm working with clients who are putting together business deals. And uh, I help them approach those from a new model, a new paradigm, where instead of entering the negotiation and drafting as an adversarial uh, engagement, as we're taught, you know, that they are opposite sides of the table, blah, 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 in a competitive situation. Um, to enter the conversation and the negotiation and conduct it and then later the drafting and performance as a side-by-side -side collaborative effort. And I have a, a system for doing that so that even if only one party is interested in the collaborative paradigm, there are ways that they can enter the conversation that will present the alternative array of choices to the other side and keep orienting the parties side by side and embed into their drafted contracts restorative dispute resolution processes as opposed to um, adversarial ones. So I'm working on a system that actually happens without having to declare itself as something other than the traditional practice of law, but it has the effect of, like I say, creating, catalyzing, triggering change. Excellent, excellent. But I'm there with you. It is a difficult so, um, finding a way to embody the principles of nonviolence and interdependence in the midst of what a conventional legal system expects. Yes, indeed. And it, to me, it looks like we're at the top of the hour. Uh, yeah. So um, it's been really um, uh, an honor to, to talk with you. That was like one of the fastest hours in history. And uh, I'm, I um, uh, wish us all well as we uh, continue to create this path together. Thank you so much for being here. And um, our uh, next week's um, call will be with author of Soul Shaping, Jeff Brown, who says he did all the things he was supposed to do to become successful, became a successful lawyer, and, um, and then realized that it wasn't where he was supposed to be. So, um, Molly, anything yeah. more from you? Yes, thank you. I just wanted to let everyone know also that um, if you'd like to find out more about the Commonway Institute and Sharif's work, um, Sharif, it's commonwayinstitute.org. Is that correct? Commonway.org. Commonway.org, yes. Mm -hmm. And again, this, this audio archive will be posted 
at cuttingedgelaw.com. So we look forward to seeing you next week. And um, thank you so much, Sharif, for everything, for all that you do, and for all of you out there on the ground in the practice of law, evolutionary law. (laughs) All right. Thank you all. See you next week.